You're listening to Portfolio Builders, a WealthCap Holdings podcast about long-term wealth building and financial independence. Yo, hi everybody, Devin here, your host for the Portfolio Builders podcast. And I'm really excited to have our guest on this week, Dan, the man. How are you, Dan? Wonderful, Devin, how are you doing? I am awesome, super excited to see you again. Excited to be here. We met first in, I think we decided it was August. You were here in town, um, and as you can see from what's going on, we have been growing like crazy, all of our businesses. And uh, when you messaged the other day and told me you were gonna be in town, I thought Dan is a perfect person to have on the podcast uh, so that we can talk about private money lending, which I, to be honest, know very little about. Um, and those are some of my favorite guests to have on the podcast because I get to learn along with you guys. And um, yeah, so first, for everybody who's listening who doesn't know who you are, tell us a little bit about who you are, your background, and how you even got into the private money yeah. lending space. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. Uh, you know, there's some of us that just have real estate in our blood, and I, I don't know how long it's been that way for me, but it's as long as I can remember. So uh, definitely professionally been doing it for nearly 20 years. Uh, it really goes back. I uh, wanted to get into real estate, didn't know how to do it, talked to a few different mentors and people. Uh, they suggested getting a job in that space. So I worked for a title company for six months before they laid me off. Oh. <laughs> uh, that was early 2000s. And, uh, and so then kind of asked around, was referred uh, about the, into the mortgage business. So I didn't know anything about the mortgage business, but I knew a few realtors. I thought maybe some of them could give me some leads, some new business. And so I got into that and started really working as uh, a mentor of mine, working as his assistant in 2002. So I was in the mortgage business for many years uh, and uh, as a real estate investor along the way as well uh, and started learning about private money from my mentor uh, going back 15 plus years ago where he brought me in really as a favor to me. I didn't really have much to bring to the table but uh, uh, he let me kind of throw some money in some different deals and uh, my background in the mortgage business just kind of learning how does a bank work mm -hmm. uh, started to really um, build a love for helping people buy and hold long-term real estate uh, or buy and sell real estate as to short-term uh, fix and flip type investment. So love real estate, it's in my blood, I'll do it for the rest of my life. Uh, and I've loved learning and making a living in the financing business. So I was in the mortgage business for about 15 years. Uh, I took five years off in a nonprofit job that I really loved, uh, my little passion project. Uh, and then uh, I've been really full-time in private money for a couple years now. Super cool. What was that? Just I'm just curious. What was the uh, the nonprofit? Yeah, so I worked for Denver Seminary. So I was really helping uh, people that wanted to go into occupational ministry, uh, avoid student loan debt, or the ones that were in debt, learn how to get out of debt. So I tell people I spent 15 years putting people into debt, and oh. then started <laughs> said to do my penance and help some of those folks get out of debt. So oh, okay, cool. So. You were a loan officer for a long time. Then how did you how did you end up transitioning into the private money space? Yeah, so starting probably in 2007, 8, 9, uh, we started doing private money loans for people that needed help to maybe uh, consolidate some debt so that we could get them a loan. So we really did it back then as a way to really um, help us get loans for people through our conventional mortgage lending business. Uh, and then in 2009 and 10, 
uh, when everything kind of melted down, mm -hmm. uh, there was a big liquidity crunch, a big liquidity crisis, and yeah. there was all these incredible real estate deals, uh, but no one had any funding. We couldn't, uh, you know, fix guys could fix and flip stuff. It made sense on paper, uh, but it was hard to find money. So we kind of then kind of fell into doing that just on the side, really, um, and did that on the side for many years, uh, just helping primarily fix and flip guys uh, with acquisition money, buy the property. Uh, and fix it up, and then they could sell it. Uh, and we're so really acting as a bank. So gotcha. uh, it's really easy just to understand how a bank works. Maybe some people don't understand this, but there's money that gets raised primarily through deposits. If you just put your checking and savings account money in there, mm -hmm. but it's no different from a large investment bank. They have some sort of, some sort of source of capital, and then they lend that capital out uh, at a slightly higher interest rate than they're paying the original capital, and then they keep that spread. So it's a very simple model, and we work exactly like a traditional bank would. Uh, we raise capital and then lend it out. Okay. So some questions that I have, since this is not an area that I, I know a little bit, maybe more than the average bear, but not a ton. Um, I would love to know, what do you think are some good, what are some good scenarios when private money makes sense versus more conventional financing? Yep. like? The fix and flip, that's one scenario. What yep. are some other um, some other scenarios of when that is really a good option for yep. financing? Yeah, great question. So it's helpful maybe just to think of it as short-term lending. Okay. Uh, and uh, you, you, you can imagine a radio dial, to, our listeners are too young for this. They're not going to know what a radio, <laughs> a gas. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Some, some sort of uh, a scale where you go left to right, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, so for, on, on the way on the left is the cheapest kind of financing that there is. So, uh, and then all the way on the right would be more expensive financing. And then along the way, there's gonna be lots of li little cubby holes. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's really getting the right tool in the toolbox to kind of fit the job. So uh, depending on what type of project that you're doing, uh, you might need shorter term, more expensive lending, or you might need longer term, less expensive money. Generally speaking, it makes sense that the longer, more, the cheaper, more, uh, more cost effective money would be a little bit tighter in their guidance, right? Might, their sure. loan to values are going to be lower. They're going to want higher credit scores, more door debt to income levels, more assets uh, in your personal savings accounts, mm -hmm. uh, reserves, we'd call that in the mortgage business. All the way on our end, we're not borrower. Uh, driven, we're asset driven. So we don't care so much about your tax returns or your income levels. We want to see those and they matter, but we're not underwriting the borrower nearly as much as the asset. Uh, so for that reason, we can move very quickly. So we can often close loans uh, in three, four, five days. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, we can make borrowing decisions really quickly, usually the same day. We can say, yes, we can do that deal or no, we don't, can't do that deal. Uh, and uh, so that, that particular tool ends up being very effective for someone that needs to, let's say, move quickly. Mm -hmm. A bank can't close in less than 30 or 60 days right now. Oftentimes yeah. they're very slow. We can close in three days. Wow. So, so people are okay to spend a little bit more money mm -hmm. um, on their interest rate or closing costs uh, because as a tool in their toolbox, it lets them take down the property um, right. a little bit more efficiently. I'll give you an example, a per kind of a perfect example for us. We did a loan here in Nashville uh, a couple months ago. Uh, it was a competitive deal, so there's three offers on a property. Our offer is at 315. There's two other offers at 330. Uh, they ended the borrower, uh, our, the buyer ended up getting a property, our property, uh, because the seller had had a bad experience with the previous deal that had fallen through because it had a lending contingency, mm -hmm. and our borrower didn't have to have that lending contingency where the other two offers did. So. Our, our buyer was able to get a $15,000 discount on their property mm -hmm. uh, because our the terms of our lending 
or so much more uh, flexible than what the other offers had. And that's kind of a dream scenario is even though our lending is a little bit more expensive, mm -hmm. uh, it's a tool to help them take down that property at a steeper discount than they could have otherwise. So for the in that particular scenario, um, was was your buyer's offer basically considered cash because there was no there was no loan contingency? There's no financing contingency, right? Because we before their offers even accepted, we've done enough due diligence to feel comfortable with, based on their down payment and uh, other financials that yes, yep, that they can remove the the financing contingency from their real estate offer. Gotcha. So. Um, I'd like to learn about criteria in either, we can use that one as yep. a case study if you want to, like as, as an example. What are some of the things that you look at? What are the kind of deals that you would do and would not do? Yeah. Like so, you personally, not just, because I would imagine that any private money lender is probably your autonomous, right? So you get to make your own decisions right. based on what, okay. So maybe back up just a little bit, your, um, your company, like, what are some of the things that you guys specifically look for? And what is the name of your company for people that are watching and may want to reach out to you? Yeah, MuleTownFunding.com. So super easy, MuleTown Funding. Um, so yeah, it's uh, yeah, you're right. Every lender is different, and and the reality is is similar to all real estate. Every every house is a little bit different than mm -hmm. the house before. So yeah. when I say it's asset based lending, rather than having a set of loan guidelines where you say, hey, you have to meet this, this, and this. What we want to do is actually look at your deal and say, does the deal itself make sense? Uh, maybe it's helpful to think of it from a lender's perspective because we're always about trying to understand and mitigate risks. Right. Um, so the question for if you're lending on a property is to say, all right, well, if the worst case scenario, if I'm the lender, if I have to take the, back the property, how do I get out of the deal? How do I untangle the knot, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, a lender's always trying to mitigate the risks uh, by understanding the deal and then uh, having the borrower uh, help mitigate those risks in some capacity. So loan to value is the easiest one. The more money you put down, the easier it is for the lender to mitigate those risks. Uh, traditional mortgage banking, uh, they'll mitigate those risks by credit score, right? You're less mm -hmm. likely to foreclose if your credit score is higher. Debt to income ratio, you're less likely to foreclose if you have enough money to make the payment. Right. Um, reserves, having money and your savings and retirement, right? You're less likely to foreclose if you have extra reserves. For us, we're looking at much more asset-driven to say, hey, this particular piece of property, do we believe that it's worth what you're buying it for? Uh, are you getting it at, at an appropriate price that if we had to take it back, we could turn around and sell it and get our original investment back? Gotcha. Uh, so value is one criteria. What aspects of the borrower do you take into, into play? Their reserves? Do you, I mean, That's like credit scores? You probably don't look at tax returns yeah. and all that stuff. Not like, helpful, but experience does matter a lot. So um, yeah, if they know what they're doing, then that's much that's much more comfortable um, for the lender, right? They, they believe that they're not going to get into a deal in which they can't get their way out of. Gotcha. Yeah. So you, you probably, this is an assumption, you probably don't work with a lot of first-time investors. Or is that iffy, yeah. maybe, case by case? We still, still absolutely do um, do quite a bit with first-time investors, and the uh, there again we try to say all right how we how do we mitigate the risk and the, the one way that we do that is by understanding the underlying asset so the house that you're buying how well do we understand it and that's where it's helpful having been uh, a current investor myself you know mm -hmm. I've done 
uh, I don't know, 25 or 30 fix and flips over the years, uh, and then That's a, a number of, of buy and holds as well. So you kind of get just learn the business enough to say, all right, well, uh, here's what the guy's got himself into. Here's how much work it's going to take. Uh, does he have the liquidity to be able to get the work done? Uh, how how much experience does he have either managing the contractors or doing the work himself? So, um, yeah, I mean, still first-time investors are are key, I think, to to what we do and. Um, the reality is lots of people, the longer you are in our business, we work with some really, really experienced investors that just use this as a tool and do a lot of volume. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of people over time end up working their way out of not needing hard money, which is great. I always tell people, hey, if you don't need us, please don't use us. Um, right. If you on that spectrum, if you can get cheaper money, I encourage you. That's what I would do myself. So it doesn't yeah. hurt my feelings. We're kind of there as a specific tool. And if you don't need us, that's fine. We're not the right tool for the job. Right. Yeah. Okay. So... You said that oftentimes this is, you know, short, short term. Yep. How short do you think is typical? Yep. Does that depend on whether it's a like a fix and flip or if it's a buy and hold? Do people use private money for buy and hold? Some do. It's generally not, though. Um, so most of our stuff is 12 months or less. Okay. Um, and so, and that uh, so, but the shortest we've done is you know, we'll do uh, transactional funding, which is like one to three days. I've done, I did three or four of those last year. It's a, those are great deals. I'm very happy to do it as short as you want to do it. So the, the question is, why short term, right? right? And so again, tools in the toolbox. So um, the, if you, because of the interest rate is higher, the shorter amount of time that you pay that, the less expensive the money is. So it's actually, uh, even though the rates sound high, the ours can be 10 to 14% on interest rate, but the rate is really not that high if you only borrow it for a very short period of time. It's like compound interest in, res- in reverse, right? Sure. The shorter yeah. you borrow it, the cheaper it is. Uh, and so from that perspective, we're a really important tool if you can move quickly. Right. So um, that, from that perspective, we actually uh, can't, you know, like the example of the guy that got a $15,000 discount on his property. Well, if you use the math to say $300,000 loan at 1% a month is $3,000 a month, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so if he only borrows the money for four months, that's only $12,000, you know, so, or if he does it for one month, it's only $3,000. So the shorter he borrows it before he can get his permanent financing in place, the more he was able to take advantage of the discount without paying a lot of money in high interest. Gotcha. That makes, so it's arbitrage, you know, basically. It's compound interest in, rever- in reverse. Yeah. The, yep. So, and we always encourage people, Hey, pay this thing off as fast as you can. That does that certainly doesn't bother us. We are in the business of helping you get short-term funding to help you get your deal in the boat. Right, right. So then they can move on to more long-term financing. Yep. When is private money like not a good idea? It's not good long-term like we just said, right? Because it's expensive long-term money. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that would be probably, if you, again, and if you have options to do it cheaper money, that's, that's perfectly okay to do it that way. Um, we, this is important, uh, we can't ever lend on owner-occupant properties. So okay. we're an investor only. And so that's, that's a big question that people have and I get those deals fairly frequently and we say no to those kind of right up front. Gotcha. Why is that? Yeah, there's a whole slew of RESPA laws uh, that are around uh, usury and high interest rate loans and loans that, are, that take advantage of poor people essentially. Um, and those are all really good laws and uh, we went through hours, 20 hours of training every year when we were in the mortgage business in order to get your licensure and uh, learn all of those inside and out. 
Uh, and so um, those, those are all, though, designed to protect homeowners. So they're not taken advantage of by predatory lenders. Gotcha. So the assumption uh, in the commercial world is uh, that, yeah, if you are acting as an investor in a for-profit enterprise, then you have enough uh, knowledge, institutional knowledge, to uh, not get yourself into a bad situation. Right on. Super cool. So um, you're in town checking on some deals. I'd love to hear a little bit more about like as much as you can share some of the deals that you're here in town working on. Like what did the numbers look like? Why did it make sense for the investor? Some of them are your deals personally. Um, Just to kind of share with the audience some case studies of when private money really makes sense. Yeah. So for me personally, I end up doing a lot more residential work. Um, and uh, and so it's not exclusively what we do, but it ends up just being kind of, that's the easiest place to work. And so it's the sandbox that we're usually playing in. So, mm-hmm. uh, so a lot of our deals are under kind of under two categories. One would be your traditional fix and flip people. So they're buying something, gonna rehab it as quickly as they can uh, and then sell it. Uh, and so we'd kind of, those are really bread and butter for us. We loved working with uh, fix and flip type investors. Uh, the other are people that follow some version of the Burr model that they buy it, uh, rehab it, uh, and then refinance it at uh, the new improved uh, appraised value uh, right. and then pay us off in that process. So, uh, yeah, what kind of deals that we're looking at all the time are people that either want to do kind of long term buy and holds uh, or they're more uh, in the construction space and they just want to get in there, fix it up. Gotcha. So, you make sense when it's Fix and flip because I'm gonna I'm gonna buy it. I'm gonna rehab it, get my money out. How quickly, in your experience as the lender, do you see most people getting in and out of fix and flips? Yeah. So uh, th- this last year has been a weird year. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I would say uh, historically, going back 15 years, the average has been about four to five months, probably in that window. This year, it was almost twice that. Wow. So uh, there's a few reasons for that. Um, one is banks were just with interest rates were low this year, so banks were kind of overwhelmed. So if you're on the refinance path, banks were taking a really long time, still are, to yeah. get those loans refinanced and out of their system. Uh, two would be construction itself was um, was fortunately an essential business and still being done, but it was slower. Uh, yeah. There was supply chain issues with construction supplies. Uh, and contractors thought they would have a lot more time and they've all been swamped. Um, and there's a it's maybe lots of reasons for that, but the reality is it's been harder to get work done this year than it has been in previous years for a few reasons. So uh, this year is probably closer, you know, eight or nine months um, on wow. average. Wow. Um, which, um, yeah, I think it's just a reflective of a lot of other issues. Yeah, that's really interesting though that like the average time that you've seen with so many years of experience is so much longer. Um, at WealthCap, we're kind of in a bubble with yeah. what we do as a turnkey company. You know, our average time is considerably shorter yep. than that. Um, and but, I would say the volume that you guys are doing, right, you're able to retain contractors, yeah. which is a tremendous market advantage that you carry. And it's nice that all the people that are buying things from you are able to kind of take advantage of your institutional knowledge and the resources that you have to be able to, to yeah. do the, those deals. Yep. Yeah, because that turnaround time, you know, I've done some fix and flip, yep. and it's a lot of work. Yep. 
and it takes longer. It usually, in my experience, takes longer than you think it's going、yep. to. Anyway, it costs more than you think it's going to. <laughs> anyway, you laugh because you know it's true.、Um, you break more nails than you think you're going、yep. to if you're doing it yourself. And、um, I just can't imagine for somebody like it could really throw them off their budget if they're not prepared. Whether they're using hard money or they're using cash、yep. of their own,、yep. you know, anticipating, oh, I'm going to be able to get this done in so many number of days, and then it takes considerably longer than that.、Yep. I've seen that happen with so many first-time flippers that I worked with or helped,、um, you know, before I started with Wealthcap just as a regular real estate agent. I、yep. met investors all the time that are like, "Hey, I want to flip a house. Yeah, you know, I can put this much into it," and、uh, I personally would always be like. Okay, you should increase your budget by、yeah. a certain amount of percentage <laughs> and double your timeline because it's never—it's never as easy as they make it look on HGTV.、Yeah. I've got a very funny friend who just did one of those, and he said, "Dan, I'm so proud we were able to do it at exactly twice our budget." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Here internally at Wealthcap, you know, we do have a pretty well-oiled machine.、Um, occasionally, things, yeah, they do go over timeline and over budget, but we, you know, everything is pretty much internal. So,、yeah. it's, you know, it's different when we have a lot of projects going on and can kind of balance out that risk. But for one individual investor, like when you're doing it for the for your first time, that can be really costly. Yeah, it can be really costly.、Um, not that it's a bad idea to fix and flip because I've done them. Yeah, you know, and I I love them.、Uh, but I think it's really important for anybody that's getting in that game to understand what all the risks are. So if you know、yeah. what all the risks are, then you can mitigate them and you're not surprised. You、yeah. know, and know what tools are in your toolbox, just like the the private money. And not just fix and flip, but if they want to do long-term buy and hold, all、mm-hmm. of those same things. Everything you just said is also true for theirs. So if they're buying something that's distressed and it's going to need a rehab, and then finding a property manager, and then getting a tenant in the thing,、uh, those are all things that you guys are kind of bringing to the table. So it's when somebody steps in day one, they're ready to go.、Uh, those are all part of the institutional knowledge that you're able to bring to the table for those deals. Yeah.、Uh, the other thing that's a big deal. I've owned property and. Four or five different states, and so long distance is its own separate challenge as well. So, totally.、Um, that's another thing that you guys、uh, maybe mitigate some of that risk that a long-term buy and hold investor doesn't have because you kind of have to build the rolodex. People aren't going to know what that is either. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know what it is. <laughs> you got to build、uh, your contacts list in your phone of people of all the resources that you need in order、mm-hmm. to manage a property long distance.、Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's nice if you're going to. Even buy and hold something, yeah, you're going to need all those contacts. Totally, and that's all of those pieces of the puzzle are really important when you're looking at giving somebody a private money or hard money loan that's going to do a, a burr. Do you take those things into consideration? Are those some of the things you look at? It is for sure. And again, what we would say is, how do we mitigate that risk as a lender?、Mm-hmm. Right. So,、uh, loan to value is always the number one way. But if they have experience, that is a helpful mitigator of risk. They know what they're doing, so they're not going to get in over their head and not be able to、uh, untangle the the twine. Yeah,、um, I'm curious. Most of the most of the borrowers that you work with are they investing in their backyard or are they doing it at a distance or is it kind of a combination? For me, almost everybody's local. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, and so、uh, and there's 
There's a lot of reasons why that makes sense. You just get to know the values are changed block to block often, right? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, for people that are buying stuff, uh, if you're trying to buy something at a discount, um, yeah, knowing what you're buying is, is super critical. Uh, and then managing contractors, as you know, is uh, uh, its own you're ball smiling. of wax. That's it, right. can be its, <laughs> it can be its own ball of wax when they're in your backyard. That's right. You know, which I've... I've done before. I'm sure you have. Okay. Here's something I like to ask a lot of investors. I want to hear your favorite personal horror story Okay. of like something gone bad wrong. <laughs> uh, and we all laugh. Like we all have them, um, you know, Yeah. not to scare people away, but I just, I find them enjoyable. Yeah. I, I, you know, so I like to tell people I've done it every way you can screw real estate up. I've screwed it up. So that's part of the, what we do. So this is the grace that comes with living and learning. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I've got a million of those. I've got a few of them. One, uh, there's one guy that we, we, I bought a few houses at one time without spending as much time as I should have this 10 plus years ago doing due diligence. This one guy was, uh, he did scrap metal for a living. And so he took a bread truck home, a whole bread truck, and parked it in the front yard, the lawn. Okay. And then used his blowtorch to cut the truck up one piece at a time and recycle it oh my uh, in the front yard. I had another situation where a guy lent, lent money to him, and then he ended up going to jail. And so he was unable to fulfill his loan. <laughs> so they had one of those. You know, there's plenty of those. More recently, I had, you know, we've maybe run into one where you run into a building department where you have a number of issues or get on the wrong side of one particular property inspector mm-hmm. where they, uh, that one took like six months just to get through all of the things. And they were kind of beating us up on things that we didn't touch in the property. So HVAC systems and electrical stuff that really wasn't in the scope of work that we had done, but um, because as soon as you open one thing, then you, they say, well, this isn't, wasn't done to code 15 years ago. We want you to change that. And, but, and so the problem is there's not like a punch list of saying, if you do these six or eight things, then you'll be, no, it's like you do those six or eight things, they come back and there's eight more things. Yeah. And that process went on for five or six months. That one, uh, that, w- that one was brutal. Painful. We've had them all though. You, you name it, I've had them. Yeah. Uh, I've been on the, on the not happy side of some appraisers with reinspects yeah. a few times. And it seemed like, you know, every time they would go for a reinspect, then we would get another list One more thing, of, yeah. you know, required repairs and it can delay things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, sometimes they're humorous stories too. And those are also the things that we learn from though. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we can, we can share with, uh, with other people. So I'd love to hear too, a couple of, um, what are some of your favorite stories? Like maybe clients that you've helped. Yeah. So one is, um, I just tell people it's it's always you, to learn anything you just have to do it right and yeah. so we we are a really powerful tool for someone that doesn't have a ton of experience but they want to learn how to start doing stuff we kind of uh, help them get going in in the business uh, so the one I mentioned earlier is one of my favorite from this just in the last six months a guy that bought it and was able to use this as a tool to get a significant discount against other competing offers that he had at the time. Um, I probably have helped five or six people this year that were first-time investors kind of nice. get in and do their first deal. And so uh, I've got, you know, kind of used that old language, the heart of a teacher. I just love teaching. So mm-hmm. um, I'm happy to have just a call, a call where you say, all right, let's take a look at your deal. How are you going to make this thing work? How are you, how, you know, where's the profit? How are you going to make this deal make money? Uh, and so I love just kind of walking people through and coaching people, uh, even if they are first-time 
investors. That's fantastic. We love working with those types of folks. Yeah, totally. Me too. I, I talk to people all day long and I love to share with them if there's something that we can do to help, you know, turnkey makes sense for them. And if not, <clears throat> kind of point them point them in the right direction. Um, you know, I've done quite a few different things in the real estate industry myself. Uh, and I just like to share, you know, especially yep. the lessons yep. that I've learned the hard way. Don't do what I did, kids. That's right. Uh, those, <laughs> those are always the fun stories to share. So your, tell, tell me the name of your company again. So Mule Town Funding. MuleTownFunding.com. That's, That's it. the easiest way to yeah. find you. Phone number's super easy. 615-654-5000. Okay. You, uh, I was asking you this before we, we jumped into the studio here. You guys primarily do deals in Nashville and Denver, but you do work in other states as well, right? We have over the years, yep, for sure. So those are definitely our primary lending markets and the ones we're most interested in. But um, yeah, we're happy just to, one is just teach folks, yeah, what is private money or hard money? How do they use it as one of the tools in their toolbox? Uh, and then, yeah, if you have deals locally, we'd love to talk through any of those deals. If you have deals outside of those spaces, we're happy to look at them as well. They're a little bit harder for us to lend on just because we're less familiar with the underlying asset. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, we try not to say no to too many things. Yeah, totally. Um, so any of you guys that are watching live on Facebook or if you're listening to the recast on the podcast and you have any questions for Dan the man about private money and whether or not that might make sense for you, repeat your phone number one more time for the folks that are listening. Sure. 615-654-5000 or muletownfunding.com. Right on. Uh, well, thanks, Dan, for joining us and teaching me a little yeah. bit more about private money. It's been fun. Of course, everybody, if you're watching this or listening to the podcast and you want to chat with me about Turnkey and what we do here at WealthCap, I am super easy to find. Be sure to join the uh, Real Estate Portfolio Builders Facebook group. You'll see me everywhere in there with the purple hair. Uh, you can reach out to me on Facebook or visit wealthcapholdings.com backslash waitlist, and that'll take you to a calendar to book with one of our advisors, and we can chat with you about whether or not turnkey makes sense now or later. Um, yeah, and if you need if you need any help getting in touch with Jan, uh, Dan, I can help you with that too. So thanks for joining me once again. Thanks, Devin. And uh, I hope to see you again soon next time you're in town and catch up Always. on what projects you have. And uh, we'll see you guys again soon. Thanks. Bye, Thank you. Thanks for listening. Discover how you can start building wealth with real estate, even without experience, in our free book, Why Real Estate and How to Get Started, by visiting wealthcapholdings.com slash book. That's wealthcapholdings.com slash book.